podcast. All Things Data with Andy Bitter from SAP. And here's your host. Welcome to the All Things Data podcast brought to you by SAP, where we discuss the value and challenges of data, how organizations leverage data in their respective industry contexts, and what some of the potential pitfalls are um, that we need to look out for. This is the inaugural episode of the podcast, and I'm happy to introduce my first guest. His name is Matt Jennings, and he is Global Vice President Intelligent Enterprise Solutions at SAP, and he also happens to be my boss. So I guess everything I say can be used against me in court, so I better let Matt do most of the talking. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Great, Andy. Thank you. Great to be here. Looking forward to uh, the discussion today. Yeah, let's dive right in. Um, uh, This is the data podcast, and I know this is a bit of a leading question, but since um, this is a podcast about data and the use of data, how important do you think really is data to organizations, businesses, nonprofits, governments, whatever, and how are they managing it really? I mean, to benefit from this mountains of data available. Well, that's a, there's two questions deep in there. I think the, the initial question is how important is data? I think we're seeing data is more important than ever before. There's more of it available. There's more ways to get it. Um, There's more devices and things and people and processes that generate data. And that data needs to be consumed uh, and you need to extract value from that data. You know, there's a lot of discussion about data as the new oil. And I don't necessarily like that comparison because oil, although the value discussion is probably similar and the same, Oil is, is uh, extracted, processed, and used once for one purpose. I think data can be extracted and used and uh, triangulated with other data uh, continuously and continue to gain value out of that data. And the, you know, getting the value out of the data, the net cost of doing so is, is sometimes zero when you use it over and over again. You don't have to go back and you know, extract it and distribute it and all those things. So uh, there's a big differentiator there. So with the data being available, and a critical nature of that data uh, being available becomes more important to the the trust of the data. You know, is it is it data that you can trust? Uh, that's probably more important to validate. Uh, and then it's a matter of what are you doing with it inside with your tools. Do you have the proper tools inside of an organization? You know, an enterprise, a government, an entity of some kind, a nonprofit, where you can process that data, you know, efficiently. But more importantly, is it a tool set that you can process in a way that has an impact uh, on your organization? And what I mean by that is, are you able to make faster, better decisions, better decisions? Are you able to extract cost out of an organization? Can you enhance processes or is it simply just enhancing communication? So, you know, there's a big thing there. You have to have good data that you can trust and you have to have good tools that really can be applied to your business and what you're trying to accomplish. Good answer. So how do you trust data? You can buy trust. Trust in data has a lot to do with data quality. Where is the data coming from? Do you trust the source of the data? Who maintains it? Who owns it? Who are the data stewards? However, I see a lot of organizations that consider data more like a byproduct of their applications. And since the data is coming from the computer, users are implicitly trusting the data they work with regardless of whether any data governance is in place. Data is an asset that needs to be taken care of. It doesn't maintain itself. So organizations that do it well installed roles, such as data stewards or data custodians, 
have certain data quality gates in place so that data just doesn't land in the database without any plausibility checks, making sure it is correct and complete, has integrity, isn't a duplicate, and a variety of other data quality aspects. Why is it important? If you make critical decisions based on your data, and if we believe the pundits that business intelligence, analytics, machine learning, and other decision support infrastructure is the most important IT program organizations have, then you need to be able to trust the underlying data, otherwise you're running the risk of making entirely wrong decisions. And then the blame game starts. Yeah, and I think it comes down to early on, you know, this goes back to my early business consulting days. You really have to define what end requirements are you wanting to accomplish. This data will keep coming in from all directions and there's enough of it available that, you know, it can be consumed, you know, limitlessly. But I think you truly need to define your requirements as to what do we what do we want to accomplish from a business perspective? And then you back your way into what does that data need to look like and where does it come from? Once you do those things, then you can sort of put some boundary conditions and some algorithm checks against that data to say, you know, is the data coming in as we expected? There's no extremes. And if there's some extremes, that's that builds some algorithms to understand why that is. Uh, but also, is it a trusted source where you're getting that data? So is it just a rogue device out there that somebody's connected from an IoT perspective? Or is it a, you know, a clinical billing system, for example, where we're getting data, where there's some reliance on accuracy and things like that? So... Uh, I think it goes across, you know, devices, protocols, networks, uh, governance, everything you've talked about, and it gets, it gets complex. So I would say the, the higher value content of data coming into the organization, the more sensitive you are to data governance type of topics. You know, the lower the value of the data, you know, maybe it's just a guiding principle of data that comes in. Maybe you have less data governance requirements on that data coming in. You know, I would say that if you look from an IoT perspective, you know, a data level from a refrigeration temperature, you know, at a convenience store, for example, is probably less critical, you know, than a heartbeat monitor coming out of a, you know, a hospital. And so then you need to look at what's the critical nature of that data and how does that build into your enterprise and build the proper, I would say, data governance protocols as part of that. Complicated. True. But would you say that organizations like those hospitals that you mentioned, that deal with data coming from, for example, these heartbeat monitors have the proper data governance processes in place. Compare that to, let's say, companies that would not even exist without data and its governance because data is their main asset or their only asset. I'm thinking about Airbnb and Uber and Facebook of the world. All they have is data. They better do it right then. But how about those hospitals or shipping companies, construction, mining, oil and gas, agriculture industries, where the main focus of their entire existence typically isn't on data, but on other assets and materials. Very often those companies don't have the necessary processes and organizational structures in place to manage data and its quality. From your experience, what would you say are some of the verticals that do this well and are there industries that really don't? Well, there's a lot there. And I think, um, you know, as we talk about the processes in place to manage the data, I think there's been a tendency to just trust data that comes in. And I think now with the abundance of data, there's less trust probably in doing so. And there's more validation. Trust but verify, if you will. Uh, if you look across industries, I don't think there's any better example 
um, you know, than a famous electric car company that's been out for the last, what, 15 years or so, maybe 20 years. Um, that probably is the sole biggest um, crowdsourcing project that's ever existed. And if you think about that, you know, that organization was developed around data. It's about how do we have the drivers and actual real-time data coming from those vehicles so they control, you know, end to end. So they're controlling the electronic control module, they're controlling the network, they're controlling the receipt of the data and what happens with the data. And if you think about the other side of that, they're controlling what happens in the factory as well and the data coming off the factory floor. So then you can start to tie those things together. What's happening in real life with an end product? What's happening uh, on the factory? And how do you marry that together? So we know if there are, for example, you know, transmission problems in that vehicle, can we go back to a manufacturing area and say, hey, this vehicle was manufactured at this time having this area issue. Let's go back and look at the data manufacturer of that. And do we have a bad lot? Do we have a bad worker? Do we have bad tools? Like bring those things together. And all of a sudden you escalate quality warranty issues as a strategic priority. And you're having less and less of those. That all has positive impact on, you know, customer sentiment, um, quality, on engineering, on future proofing, uh, those types of things. And so I think we see organizations that have, I should say industries that have started to change and start to recognize that data is highly, highly valuable and it's changed a lot of business models. And I think that that industry like automotive has really had to take a hard look about how do we think about ourselves differently because there's higher demands. We're all walking around with, you know, supercomputers, if you will, in our pockets. Uh, and we have this data coming available to us. And you think about a vehicle standpoint, you know, that that mobile device that you carry connects to your vehicle. That vehicle is then connecting somewhere else and there's data uh, that's being collected. And it might be automotive transportation type data, but there's all sorts of other data that's that's being collected around the vehicle as well. You know, it's learning. It's learning where you are and it's making suggestions on the apps based on where you are. I mean, as an example, you know, uh, when I travel, it knows that, you know, I'm in a certain area and I always listen to Pandora there. And guess what app comes up as soon as I get into that area? It knows that I'm looking for Pandora. So, you know, some of those things, you start to look at data in more abstract ways that you wouldn't have thought of in the past. And I think some organizations or some industries are embracing that uh, much more than others. You know, you bring up a great point. Normally, the automotive industry isn't typically considered so advanced in the data domain as their main intellectual capital and what really makes them a car company, at least until now, was largely the development of engines, drivetrains, paired with big marketing campaigns and brand management. And even though they have many millions of customers, they hardly know anything about them individually other than when a customer brings in a car for service. The new car manufacturing companies, like the one you mentioned, seem to be on a vastly different trajectory whereby the vehicle becomes a data generation and sharing instrument, not only collecting driving habits and how many times to turn left, but also traffic conditions on the roads you've taken, road conditions, weather conditions, and then sharing that with the mothership, which hopefully anonymized, shares all the information with every other car, continuously updating the car's knowledge about places it may have never seen before. Essentially, it becomes a data engine that just happens to look and operate like a car. You, well, I think you bring up the crux of digital transformation in the world, which is you look at automotive manufacturers and for a hundred years, maybe longer, 
you know, their hardcore taking in product, manufacturing and producing a vehicle out the other side. That's what they're really, really good at. Now, the difference is now they're being asked to be a data company as well. And I think that's where you see the change in a lot of a lot of investment going to say, how do we manage this new world? We're still going to manufacture, but now we've got this whole other area of data, which we're not experts at. And so that's where you're seeing the investments in the big shift to say, how do we, how do we embrace this in the future to be a manufacturer, but also, you know, a data company that needs to process data in a way that's going to be beneficial to, you know, to customers, to employees, to the factory line, uh, to whatever. And I think we're starting to see that, that convergence. And uh, those are some difficult transitions for old traditional companies in old traditional industries that haven't had to address data uh, in a strategic way in the past. I guess what you just described is what we mean by becoming an intelligent enterprise, where everything is about data, analytics, decision-making, and so on. And when you look at the available and generally very mature technology available to organizations today, such as analytics, which is obviously near and dear to my heart, but also machine learning and artificial intelligence, big data, blockchain, or IoT, as you mentioned, that can look like a mountain of technology to master and very intimidating. And from your experience, many companies stare at this issue like, like a deer into the headlights and then fall back at simple reporting or dashboarding because they don't know where and how to start. With your IoT background, is that an area where organizations should really begin? Well, it's a, it's a good question, and I think it's a good observation that, um, you know, where do they start? Um, and it's really a matter of what they're trying to accomplish as the business. And I think it's a good transitional discussion to say, how do we you know, become an intelligent enterprise? And that evolutionary process, it's certainly not a destination. It's an ongoing journey because as you have data introduced to your organization, you also have enabling technologies and you have things like, you know, IOT, AI, machine learning, analytics, big data, cloud, mobile. You have all those things that are available to you to help process, you know, the data in a meaningful way. And I always propose that an organization needs to look really hard at, you know, where they have gaps or where they have uh, high expense, or maybe look at their supply chain or some of their internal processes. Because if you look at things like how do they integrate their supply chain and the demand chain, uh, obviously there's data that flows through that. And how can you make the, the, the stickiness to the customer greater by having some of that data all the way at the supply side? And so you really need to start to look at that chain and, and it's probably the most critical step that you can have is take a step-by-step approach, looking at the business processes, finding the inefficiencies, and then looking at the business requirements to say, how do we process that in a way differently by consumption of data and what data do we need? I often say that if you find a process, find the best way to solve it. Don't think about the technology. Don't think about the cost. Don't think about the schedule. Like if everything were available to us, how would we do this differently? And that's typically a good starting point. Then you can factor in, you know, all the roadblocks and all the resistance. It could be many things. It could be industry. It could be regulation. It could be culture. But you can back into those things. But at least you have the starting point to say, if everything was equal, we would do this differently. And this is how we would do it. And let's start to build those requirements. And as we build those requirements, let's start to understand what our limitations are. And can we overcome those limitations with enabling technology, with data, with process change? Uh, you know, business process reengineering is a big thing when I was coming up in technology and we would look at things that way. I think now it's a little bit differently because the technologies are there to help support 
that re-engineering a process. And, and oftentimes you have to think a lot differently. You really have to go out into the field and, and be that customer and go through those customer processes. And I don't think there's enough of that today. I totally agree. And I would add that many organizations are so busy just keeping the business running that they really don't have the time or the capacity or the necessary skills to think strategically in the way you just described. So if you want to do a business process for engineering project, include some machine learning or big data or IoT, you need to spend some time investigating where to spend your resources. Obviously, companies come across process improvement opportunities all the time, often more or less by accident, but this isn't a strategic endeavor that comes from the top of the organization. I see more grassroots projects and tactical approaches whereby someone says, hey, could we use some predictive capabilities here? Or how about adding a sensor to this machine so we know what's really going on inside the production process? I think there's very little truly strategic thinking going on in organizations when it comes to data and making the best use of it. Although decision makers keep going to conferences and attend sessions that should provide ample food for thought, how to use data as a strategic asset. Sometimes they become nothing but a copycat yeah. when they see their competitors describing, for example, some interesting machine learning use case. And when they get home, IT staff gets sold, we need to do this and that because the, comp uh, the competition does it. Well, and I think you, you come up with an interesting uh, topic there because a lot of the executives that we talk to, there's, there's this term that I don't like and, and executives will say, look, I don't want to be Ubered. And I don't think that's a fair statement to make. You know, when an Uber started, they didn't have uh, revenue to defend or customers to protect. They were just able to go out and, and have a clean canvas. Organizations, you know, that are historic or traditional have been around for a while in their industry or lead their industry. They have revenue that they have to protect. They have employees, they have customers, and they need to look at this a little bit differently. Uh, there's an executive I met years ago who said, look, I want a team of people on, in my organization that is finding ways to put us out of business. And that's interesting because they're like, look, there's other people that see other organizations that see us as a competitor and they're trying to do the same thing which means they're gonna do things faster, better, cheaper, in a different way, you know, reach the customer differently, et cetera. And you know, the car company we talked about is that. They're doing things radically differently than traditional industry organization and they're doing it quite honestly with data. Um, and so if you start to think about that, that has really changed that industry. Where that's going, I don't know, but you can see all the other organizations embracing that. So vehicle telematics is almost a no brainer now all vehicles will come with with that connectivity. Then it's the other things that you wrap around that. And it's almost that the data becomes more important and the ability to monetize that data becomes important. Uh, will we reach a point where a car is just a commodity and then you're a passenger in there of some kind, whether you're a driver or not, and they're able to um, you know, monetize that data that's surrounding you as you go? Probably, probably. And maybe that's going to be part of the future, you know, sales process. I don't know. But from an automotive industry perspective, I suspect that those conversations are, are being had. Right. So since you've been working at Bosch, and I'm sure have had lots of exposure to these IoT use cases that you just described in auto manufacturing or auto parts, what did you learn how all the corresponding data was really managed and what was it used for? Was it more generic decision-making or was it also used to optimize supply chains or pricing or maybe even car designs? 
Is that all across the board on the IT side or was it mostly specific to electrifying cars? Well, a little bit of both. Unfortunately, I would say there wasn't a broad enough view of how the data will be utilized uh, in the context of a, of a vehicle. Um, I think there's a need to, you know, what I always say, liberate that data inside and outside of an organization. Uh, and then how do you manage those changes in those processes? Uh, we would often uh, complete what I would call business requirements analysis and really go through the organization and, and do a number of what I would say data interviews to say, look, if this data was available, how would you use it? And this wasn't just discussing with people inside the organization or the executives or manufacturing. It was going into legal, accounting, uh, manufacturing, warranty, customer support, dealer networks, and customers. And then finding that low-hanging fruit, if you will, to say, what are the top five areas where there's a huge demand from a dealer, from a customer, or internally to utilize this data? And let's let's focus there. So would I say that organizations are ready to embrace that sort of change? Not quite yet. I think there's an appetite to do so, though. And I think they would look at the top two or three things and like, we, we have to go. We have to do that. And I'll tell you, when you, when you do those types of things, an organization has a good sense that they understand what the top priorities are. But as they start to dig into those and start to realize the benefit of the process change or the value of the data to the organization, there's always more ideas that come out. 10 of 10 times what happens is there's more ideas that come out that did not come out in that first round. And there's higher value of the data. Uh, where I think organizations get caught up is that there's good momentum that happens. And that always competes with the economic side and patience of the organization. And you can't let that culture of the patience uh, eat up the momentum because you, you're going through this iterative process to become an intelligent enterprise. And you need to let that process serve itself out. Excellent. A lot of good value here. We could go on for a long time, but I'm afraid we need to wrap up here. Just one more thing, going back to the intelligent enterprise idea. If you, our listeners, would like to conduct a review of your readiness to become an intelligent enterprise, I'd like to draw your attention to our intelligent enterprise assessment survey that you can actually find online at discover.sap.com slash intelligent enterprise assessment, all in one word, slash en-us. There you are presented with about a dozen self-assessment questions about a number of major business process areas. And when you finish it, you'll be sent a personalized report that shows where in the journey to becoming an intelligent enterprise you consider your organization. And maybe it provides you with a few ideas how to bring your company, department, or line of business to the next level. Thank you very much, Matt, for your answers and invaluable insights. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been great. Sure thing. That does it for us today. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into the podcast. My name is Andy Bitterer, and I hope you'll be back for the next episode of the All Things Data podcast. Until next time, goodbye.